This is Crossroads, the Get Religion podcast. When Rick Warren spoke from the floor of the Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting last summer in Anaheim, California, he said he would not be back for this summer's convention meeting. And even though he may not physically be there, he's definitely back. He is pressuring his former denomination, the Southern Baptist Convention, to go along with his view of women's ordination, and he wants them to change their view of the Baptist faith and message. Greetings and welcome to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's founder and editor of Get Religion and author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. What should reporters call these competing armies in the Southern Baptist Convention as they carry out this upcoming debate? Well, part of me is tempted to say that I have no idea whatsoever what they should call them. But that's less than honest, because frankly, I've been taking part in this debate over terminology in the Southern Baptist Convention, I've been paying very close attention to it and to one degree or another taking part in it since about 1978 or 1979. That is a long time, friends and neighbors. And let me explain it to our listeners by starting off with one simple reality. Ninety nine percent of the people in the Southern Baptist Convention are going to describe themselves as conservatives. To make matters more complex, if you look at the Southern Baptist Convention within the spectrum of American Protestantism, I mean if you're if you're comparing Southern Baptists say to Episcopalians or even Evangelical Lutheran Church in America there's no question that Southern Baptists, 99% of them, maybe 95%, are, are truly conservative. But that doesn't help reporters out when they have to start trying to cover these knockdown, drag out battles within the convention. Now, if we flash back to 1979, when the Southern Baptist Civil War got really serious, and here we go again, we've got to have a label the more conservative part of the denomination took over in 79, 80, 81, 82, in that period of time. It took me years to kind of figure this out. There were a few genuine liberals in the Southern Baptist Convention, mainly in a few isolated congregations and in maybe in a couple of seminary positions. And we're using the Terry Mattingly, T-Matt Trio questions here in terms to judge liberal versus conservative and Longtime listeners may recall, I've always asked three different questions when trying to figure out divisions within Protestants, well, within Christians in general. And number one is, did the resurrection actually happen? Was it a historic event? Issue number two is, is salvation through Jesus Christ alone? In other words, the opposite of universalism. And the third, my wording has always been, is sex outside of marriage a sin? 
And notice that I've worded it in a way that it isn't just about gay and lesbian issues or something like that. It's a statement of the biblical affirmation of sex within marriage is holy and sex outside of marriage is being sin. And also notice I use sin instead of something like illegal or a political term. Well, back in 79, there were very, very few liberals. But the press universally referred to the left half of the Southern Baptist Convention. And at first it was split pretty close to 50-50. The term they use is moderate. And that's the term you're still going to hear today in these arguments. And the problem is that moderate is kind of a nice, mushy, kind word. If you ask most people in the Democratic Party if they're liberal or conservative, they'll say, no, we're moderates, we're centrists. And the problem is that the the center keeps moving in our culture further and further to the left. So it's really hard and give you some other nominations for what you're going to read in the press in the next couple of weeks before the convention in which the Southern Baptist Convention national agencies will do their business. And where is Rick Warren? Well, there's no question that Rick Warren years ago would have been considered a plain, ordinary conservative. The problem is that his church has evolved on one specific issue, and that issue is the ordination of women. And you'll notice that the ordination of women is not in the TMAT trio. But the ordination of women in a revised Baptist statement of doctrine. Now, notice I didn't call it a creed. I didn't call it a catechism. But it really, if the Baptist would be honest with himself, it's a catechism. And the Baptist faith and message was revised in the year 2000. And as Al Mohler has noted in an article he's written on this topic, the Baptist faith and message was revised to make clear, and here's the language, while both men and women are gifted for service in the church, the office of pastor is limited to men as qualified by Scripture. So what our readers and listeners are going to be dealing with in the next week is, what does it mean to be a pastor. In popular parlance, this has in the past meant the senior pastor, the person in authority over the church, should be male. Well, what about the children's minister? What about your church's dedicated hospital chaplain? Or what about the chaplain that the hospital itself hires? And for Legal reasons in terms of privileged communication with members, parents, hospital patients, it would be better if that person, male or female, it would be better if they were ordained for legal reasons. Well, okay, but what about the ban on the ordination of women? Well, the ban on the ordination of women is the ban on who is a pastor, and this has grown to be a discussion of who holds authority over the congregation and who teaches with authority. And basically, who is the preacher of the church and who is the chief administrator of the church? So what I think Rick Warren would have argued 
and maybe to some degree still would argue, is that it's one thing to ordain someone and call them an ordained clergy person, a clergyman. It's another thing for that person to be the senior pastor. So thus you have ministers, and then you have senior pastors. And some people would interpret the New Testament to say men should be the senior pastors. But does that mean they can't be hospital chaplains? So I'm going around in circles here, but it gets incredibly complex. And this is where the debate is going to unfold. And in the midst of all that, the press is going to be calling the two sides of this debate by different terms. And it's going to be very interesting to see what those terms end up being. Now, a religion writer at the heart of this, Leon Adams of the Nashville, Tennessean, Nashville, of course, being the location of the Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee and National Offices. Liam, the other day, on Twitter, started a thread for people to discuss the issue of labels. And it quickly turned into, well, if we don't use the word moderate, how do we describe the different camps within the current SBC? And I'll end it there unless you ask a a follow-up question about it. To me, this sounds a lot like things that Lutherans went through when the ELCA and the Missouri Synod Lutherans and others had their falling out over biblical authority. And back at that time, what did some people call the Missouri Synod Lutherans? Did anybody use the fundamentalist word? Oh, absolutely. Well, there's going to be some press, especially in commentaries and maybe on TV. They're going to be very tempted to refer to the the group that is now called the Conservative Baptist Network, and that is basically the right wing of the current Southern Baptist Convention, I think you're going to hear them called fundamentalist. And the problem is the AP Style Book said you shouldn't call them fundamentalists unless they call themselves fundamentalist. And what they're going to call themselves is something like, we're the real conservatives. And those other people that are kind of waffling on some of these issues including critical race theory and a bunch of other stuff that will grab headlines. Those folks call themselves conservatives, but those are the moderates. Or you will even hear some people on the right half of the SBC call those people liberals. We're dealing here with liberal people. Lately, the term that they've been using, the conservative wing has been using, is woke, W-O-K-E. And, you know, all those people who on women's issues, race issues and stuff, they've gone woke. And, of course, the minute you start using the word woke, you've jumped right into the heart of terminology from the last five to seven years of American politics, and all kinds of themes live in the background behind the word woke. But here in a minute, when I give you kind of some comparisons here that I think people are going to see in the press coverage, and they can look for I'm going to give them a list of, let's see, one, two, three, four, at least six, five options, five good options for terminology here, definitely the term woke is going to get used. And I'm expecting this year for some reporters, especially in elite publications, to go ahead and pull out the term fundamentalist. One of the things I have not seen yet is an attempt for a reporter, a journalist, to at least summarize Warren's quote-unquote, biblical argument for the ordination of women that he's trying to make with Southern Baptists. I've heard him make the argument in an interview with Russell Moore 
it was, in my opinion, a biblical sleight of hand, and I failed to understand how any of the things he said necessitated the ordination of women. How is a reporter supposed to get it? I'm an ordained clergyman. How is a reporter supposed to summarize this kind of stuff? Well, for example, he cites that, and this is true, and I've heard women's ordination advocates make this argument since the 70s. What are you supposed to do with female missionaries who are at the heart of Southern Baptist Lottie Moon, for Pete's sake? And obviously these missionaries frequently exhibited forms of leadership and did a lot of teaching. And then the argument said was, well, did Lottie Moon only teach women, or did she teach audiences that were male and female? So now this turns into a church history question. And I would love to see details on whether Warren's position on this has evolved. My personal interpretation, and someone I've been reading Warren for a long time, I think Warren in the past would have accepted the idea that the Southern Baptist Convention doesn't want women to be senior pastors with authority over men. I think he would have affirmed that in the past, but then he would have said what I just explained a while ago. Well, what about women who serve as hospital chaplains? What about women who are in counseling ministries? What about women who do lead the children's programs? What about women who serve as education pastors who organize Sunday schools and things like that and aren't in an active teaching role over men, but they're organizing things, but they're serving under a senior pastor who is male? Um, I think that's the position he would have taken in the past. What has changed and what has made this highly relevant is that when Warren retired, his replacement was a pair of people, and they announced that the new senior pastor is the Reverend Andy Wood. Now, the problem is his wife, the Reverend, yes, ordained, the Reverend Stacy Wood. When they announced her duties, they included preaching, and immediately the questions were raised, which led to the current conflict along with the fact that they ordained some other women, and they weren't quite sure what those women are ordained in ministries to, and are they ordained in the same way that the left wing of the Southern Baptist Convention ordains women to be a a church's only pastor or to be the senior pastor, which happens some in the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship and other more progressive Baptist organizations. But when it said that Stacy Wood was going to be among the church's preachers, immediately the question began, who will she be preaching to? And will she be preaching with authority on biblical issues? Will she be preaching at retreats? So I expect all of these different issues to be debated when the convention meets. And it will boil down to, are we going to kick churches out of the Southern Baptist Convention if they ordain women to anything, to any form of ministry, we kick them out? Or will the current leadership of the church attempt to say, we're going to continue to say that women cannot be senior pastor? They can't be professor of New Testament at one of our seminaries and teach the Bible to rooms full of men. 
we're going to uphold that concept of headship and submission. So you're going to hear people arguing, ban them all or ban some of them. And it's going to be really interesting when you hear people describing Baptists as liberal because they want to continue to uphold that women can't be senior pastors, but they're willing to let them be ordained chaplains or something. But the other thing is we're back to that Baptist faith and message. And this is what I think our listeners really need to pay attention to. What is the Baptist faith and message 2000? What is that text? And what is its authority? Now, it's one thing to say that you have to sign the Baptist faith and message 2000 in order to teach in a Baptist seminary or to hold other positions with the denomination. But you know how Baptists are so proud of the freedom that their local congregations have? If they make a statement that every word of the Baptist faith and message is now some sort of religious law, and there's a motion, I believe, on the floor of this convention to codify as law the section of the Baptist faith and message that concerns the role of women and women's ordination. Make that a functioning law in the denomination where you can be kicked out of the convention for ordaining women at all. When that happens, you know, I grew up Southern Baptist. I think many listeners will remember that. My father was a Southern Baptist pastor. Every level of my family has been active in Southern Baptist leadership at one time or another until, like on my branch of the family, we converted to Orthodoxy. But I still speak fluent Southern Baptist. And if you know your Baptist history, these issues, how can the convention control individual churches? Those issues have been with Baptists forever. Now, very quickly, the other issue where this is going to come up is on sexual abuse. I think we've talked about this in issues, etc., broadcasts and podcasts in the past. But we've talked about to what degree can the SBC force churches to take certain actions on sexual abuse by clergy, lay people, or any others. And when those hit the floor, look for the battle lines to form around very similar divisions with the people who want to ban all churches that ordain women to anything being the people who are primarily opposed to ongoing and strengthened efforts to legally require churches to be involved in fighting sexual abuse versus those who want to take a more centrist stand, a less conservative stand. What Here we're back into the word soup again. The establishment of the SBC, the establishment that currently is leading the denomination, what will they argue for? And I expect you to see them calling for stronger actions on sexual abuse. And we'll see, do they actually attempt to say it's okay if churches ordain women as counselors, chaplains, etc., but no senior pastors? Will they try to put that in writing in some way? If so, this is going to be a Donnybrook. Terry, do you think that most journalists know or understand that the vast majority of Christians globally, both historically and presently, forbid the ordination of women, and why they forbid it? 
Well, but see, now you're going to get into really in-depth discussions of what the Roman Catholic Church teaches about priesthood, which is the largest body of Christians in the world. Then you get into discussions of what do the Eastern Orthodox churches teach about ordination, which is has the same conclusion as Roman Catholic, but for somewhat different reasons that we don't have time to explain here today. Then you get down to the fact that within the, the incredible battles within Anglicanism, most of the Anglicans of Africa, but not all, most of them don't ordain women. But frankly, many of them are beginning to, and that includes the evangelical wing of Anglicanism. So that gets more complex. Obvious among Lutherans, you have churches that do and churches that don't. One of the real complicating factors is that the fastest growing form of Christianity in the world is Pentecostalism. And Pentecostalism has a long history of ordaining women. A new revelation, God has gifted these people, we will ordain them. So it's when you look at it at a global level, there's no question that in churches that use the word priest and see the priest at the altar as representing God the Father and offering his son in sacrament, that I'm using more of an orthodox wording right there, I think the Catholics would say that the priest standing at the altar is standing in the place of Christ. Once again, technicalities. The key there is that the word priest is crucial in these discussions. So I have heard Catholics, and I have heard Orthodox and others say, well, you know, Protestants can do whatever the heck they want because they don't claim to have priests. So they can do whatever they want. That's a gross oversimplification. But to some degree, especially among free church Protestants, including Baptists, Assemblies of God, Pentecostals, etc. This is where the issue rages, because in the end it comes down to shall we be ruled by power on this issue, because we've never established an actual doctrine, because that's not what Baptists and Pentecostals and Free Church people do. They don't write creeds. They don't write catechisms. I mean, and Rick Warren keeps saying all the time, are we going to let a mere difference of opinion separate us on this issue. Well, do Baptists have opinions, or do they have doctrines? And if they have doctrines, who gets to create them? And if they've now created what is a functioning legal catechism, are they still Baptists in the historic sense of the Anabaptists and the early part of their movement? So that's part of what's the press. I think I could get it down to a paragraph if you aimed a gun at me. I'd say something like that the ancient churches with the concepts of priesthood do not ordain women, but among Protestants for whom how they govern their churches is at the local level, this has become a complex issue. I think that's how I would state it. I clean it up, of course. But that's how many reporters are going to put that paragraph in, and I think it needs to be there. The stories that are out right now, the two that I'm looking at the most, one is from religion news service, and it's written by a woman who has been covering these issues for multiple decades, Adele Banks, and I think she did a fine job in her story, and I would encourage people to seek that out. And then, of course, people need to be following on Twitter, leading into the convention next week, Liam Adams of the Nashville Tennessean, and to see what kind of language he decides to adopt in covering this. 
So with a couple of minutes left here, you say there are five labels to watch for. I think the old label in the 79, the press called moderates was the liberal half. And then they went ahead often fundamentalist was the other one. So look to see if that's the way someone words it. Then you had moderate versus conservative. And that's been the language for most of recent decades. You had moderates and you had conservatives. Well, what happens when you have a battle between the conservatives, which is basically what we have? Liam Adams said he was finding it frustrating to write stories where he said more conservative versus conservative. You have conservatives and you have people who are more conservative. And do you use a term like right wing? How do you describe them? Then you're going to see people on the right side of the convention say that it's woke, W-O-K-E, woke versus conservatives. And then the final one, you may actually have some people on the right side of the SBC start throwing the word liberal around again. And they'll be liberal versus we're the real conservatives. We're the only conservatives there are. The others have now gone woke or they've gone liberal. So once again, moderate versus fundamentalist, moderate versus conservative, more conservative versus normal conservative or establishment conservative, different adjectives will be used, woke versus conservative, and will it be liberal versus conservative or even real conservatives? And then looming in the background is, to what degree is all of this also linked to the bitter divisions in the SBC over folks who want to endorse Donald Trump? I made it all the way to here without mentioning the words Donald Trump, and that said it should be, but I think you can expect to see that surface in the coverage. Terry Mattingly is senior fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He is founder and editor of Get Religion, author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate, and of the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, thank you very much. Glad to be here. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you next week. Thanks for listening to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. Crossroads is a production of Get Religion, part of the First Amendment projects at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. If you appreciate this podcast, please make a secure online tax-deductible donation at getreligion.org.